Welcome to the We Are SC podcast. This is Eric McKinney joined by Greg Katz. Greg, we are uh, sort, sort of like a special podcast here. Um, the big announcement that everyone was waiting for in fall, really the, the only thing left to sort of announce once you had the, the new strength and conditioning coach and the new offensive coordinator. This is obviously going back months and months. It was going to be who would be the starting quarterback for USC for the 2019 season. We got our answer yesterday after practice. Clay Helton came right out. He said they're going with JT Daniels. He'll return as the starter. Obviously, Daniels was named the starter last year. Uh, as a true freshman, he started 11 games, all but a- against Arizona State. When he was out with a concussion, Jack Sears stepped in. He started that game. We also saw Matt Finke at various points last year. So you had three quarterbacks play last year. This year, it's going to be JT Daniels as the starter. I think that is one conversation. And then the other conversation is what the rest of the depth chart looks like. But let's start with just just JT Daniels right now being named the starter. Your thoughts on that? Well, no shock. I mean, that's, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, our colleague Kevin Bruce called it a kabuki show. Uh, but uh, no, he was going to be the starter. I think we all kind of felt that way. Well, you could feel that way. doesn't mean that's how you think it should have gone. Uh, I mean, I might as well, you know, I'd stuck my neck out already. I felt that Jack Sears should have been the starter because I thought he gave them the best chance to win because of his mobility and his gamesmanship and what he proved against ASU and yada, yada, yada. But I'm not down on the fact that JT became the starter. That's, you know, JT had to improve his leadership. I think that from the very get-go, one thing I've learned about Clay Helton uh, and, you know, people can debate me on this if they want. When he has his mind uh, set for one particular player, he doesn't change. And uh, an example of that would be Toa Lobendon. You know, last year, Lobendon really, as we all know, had challenges snapping the ball over the head of the center. Cost him possibly the game against Cal that they lost 15-14. And afterwards, you know, uh, you know uh, Helton defended Lobendon. He, you know, he said, he's the love of my life. And didn't change it. And, uh, you know, when you see that, you say, well, wait a minute. And then, you know, you, you don't want to be unfair because you go even further back to when Max Brown was named the quarterback over uh, Sam Darnold when we all could plainly see in practice it was Sam Darnold. I kind of understood that one because, you know, Brown had been in the program. He was the former Gatorade National Player of the Year, and he had waited his turn. And my feeling was, okay, I know what I'm seeing. I know objectively what I would call, but I understand why he did it. Now, obviously, after the fourth game or whatever, in comes Darnold, and he becomes, you know, the, basically a quasi-legend. Uh, but when I see those two particular incidences, it gives me a, kind of an insight into how Helton gets, uh, you know, his heart. He starts seeing things with his heart, in my opinion, uh, and I'm, I'm not ripping him. I, I, I don't want that to be, uh, you know, the deal. But he seems to, once he's got his mind set on something, uh, you know, he, he doesn't change. So for me, there's a, a couple ways to see this. I, I think that in coming out of spring, um, for, for me, it looked a, a sure thing like JT Daniels was going to be the guy. Uh, and then you thought, okay, that's going to – improve more and more he's going to separate more and more from the rest of the guys 
And then in fall, that first day, I was kind of blown away. I, I thought, here it is. He came out. He had an unbelievable day. Again, this is no pads, shirts and shorts, first day of fall camp. He looked, I thought, terrific. Um, and, and so I figured, okay, this is easy. He's going to eventually pull away, uh, and he'll be the guy. I, that never happened in terms of just performance on the field. He never – it never looked like there was a first-team guy and then a bunch of backups. It really did look like when, when guys would come in and out, play with the first team, play with the second team, they looked interchangeable at times. The flip side of that is nobody jumped ahead of JT Daniels. Nobody, nobody else sort of said, no, I'm the guy, this is my team. It always felt like, you know, to, to me at least – it always felt like JT Daniels, when he went out, it was as the starting quarterback, he was going out uh, to take his reps. So I think that's one thing that stood out for me in this. I know Clay Hilton was in a, in a tough situation. Nobody wants five and seven again. So the obvious solution for a lot of people is do everything the opposite of what got you to five and seven last year. The opposite of starting JT Daniels is starting the backup from last year. Um, and, and so that's the, there's a lot of thought there where it's, we can't go down the same path. So we've got to make a change there. I, I think that Helton was in a tough spot in terms of, was there a real quarterback battle? Because when you go with the same answer as last year, it sure feels like to a lot of people, I'm sure there wasn't. Having watched it, I, I don't think you could come to the conclusion that, you know, JT was was blown out of the water by some by anybody else, uh, and, and he has no business being the starting quarterback. Uh, I think that he, I think that he earned it with his play. I don't think that when you look at the one to four is a big gap, just in terms of you know the numbers where you see Jack Sears at number four uh, on the depth chart. I think those are probably smaller delineations than a lot of people feel like when they see those numbers split apart so much, um, you know, dropping from one to four. And, and I think the, the thing too is that Clay Helton and Graham Harrell are looking at the quarterbacks in what they can do in their offense, not just if I send 11 guys out on the field to do whatever they want, who gives me the best chance of winning? Because I think Jack Sears has a real strong argument there. If it becomes something where it's, look, just go make a play. We got we to gotta figure something out. Go make a play. Do whatever you need to do. I, I got a lot of faith in Jack Sears with that. But if you're a coach, that can never be sort of your, your plan A. There always has to be who's going to run my offense. And I think that that had a lot to do with it. And again, like you mentioned, we're not in every, every meeting when we see a play and it works, there's a, there's a chance that when they break down the film, they're saying, Hey, you missed everything that you were supposed to do on this play. So there's plenty of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I, like you said, there's no surprise that it was JT Daniels. And I'm teeing you up a little bit here because now we're going to get into the rest of the depth chart at quarterback. Number two was announced true freshman Keaton Slovis, Matt Fink at number three, and Jack Sears at number four. A lot of people, there was the assumption because Sears really did have that game against Arizona State last year, 
that he would be either one or two and he'd be sort of the the guy that would be up next um after jt so your your thoughts on the rest of that depth chart well since you teed it up i'm going to bring out my one wood uh, <laughs> so to speak well where do i begin i don't want to go on forever in a day but here, here's how i here's how i look at it okay first of all no matter what happens in practice it's what you do in a game okay because the game is the ultimate evidence that clearly shows what you're capable or incapable of doing. Jack Sears is the only one of the three backups that it went an entire game. They lost to Arizona State eight, uh, 38 to 35. Jack Sears didn't give up 38 points, but he did have his team score 35, which should be enough to win. Okay, so we had a small sample size there in a complete game. We know that Fink had a, a big run in mop-up duty, so to speak, against Oregon State, <laughs> excuse me, and we know that Keaton Slovis has never taken a snap in a Division I game uh, at all, okay? Uh, let's, let's work back with Keaton Slovis as number two. All right, he is beyond his years in uh, his ability to throw. Uh, he was tutored by a former NFL great um, in his high school, uh, so he's come in very polished, very known, in terms of his technical skills. All right. Here is the one, that, the part, the part that kind of frosts me a little bit on this whole thing, having been a coach myself for over 27 years. Okay? It's all about credibility. If you don't have credibility with your team, you're going to lose your team. Because winning, well, winning is like the great uh, Novocaine. It, it masks almost everything. But when you have losses, then everyone goes back to their original feeling. We know that Jack Sears was the player of choice by, by most uh, of that team. Certainly uh, the Trojans that are the upperclassmen, right? Because if I'm a senior on the team, I go, wait a minute, you know, uh, you know what are you thinking here? I mean, Jack came in with us. He, you know, he, he, he almost won the game. You know, what, what is your thought process? now? That being said, one of the criterias that Graham Harrell said, and I'm, you know, again, you know, it's almost like uh, Graham Harrell is like in the background now because, you know, he didn't make the actual announcement, was this idea of leadership, okay, leadership. And that, you know, that JT was far behind everybody else, but apparently has improved, okay. But then you look at Jack Sears, who's extroverted, leader in the huddle, so on and so forth. Same thing could be said of Sears, or excuse me, of uh, Fink. But Fink, you know, they said was kind of inconsistent, sometimes up, down, uh, what, what have you. But, you know, he, he was animated in the cuddle. But now you have Slovis, who's a true freshman. <laughs> and since you ask yourself, is a 21-year-old is going to be in a huddle with an 18 or 19-year-old and command the same respect that Sears or even Fink would present. So what it does, it puts it, to, from my perspective and my experience as a coach, you're putting yourself in a position where you could have some real internal issues. Now, we all know that uh, the way it was worded is that JT would start the season, okay? So imply whatever you want with that. Are we, does that mean that uh, if I'm a Fink or I'm a Sears, that I don't 
you know, when I come to practice, there's no chance of me moving up on the depth chart. I would like to think that they could move up. And the truth is, let's suppose JT does go down. Let's say it's Stanford. Big game, right? Big game. The fact that we, I mean, it's no secret that Helton is on the hot seat. Most national publications have him on the hot seat. Why would you bring in a, a, uh, a quarterback that's a freshman with no experience against the Stanford that will bring the kitchen sink and everything that Slovis has never seen in his life? And you can say, well, if he does practice, uh, you know, against uh, Trojans, but they don't hit the quarterback. None of these quarterbacks. JT can tell you what it's like to get hit. Uh, Sears can tell you what it's like to get hit. Uh, Fink you know, could tell you somewhat what it's like to get uh, hit in a game. So we don't know what Slovis is going to react when he gets whacked around. But if it was my job on the line, I don't think I'd feel comfortable with that scenario. But that doesn't mean that if, it, if JT goes down, that they might skip over uh, the number two on the depth chart and say, well, you know, we could redshirt him. But at least to me, Eric, and uh, maybe your, uh, you know, our listeners might agree, it leaves a lot more questions. It doesn't, it doesn't solidify anything because you're going to have in the back of your mind, what happens when JT goes down? And he will go down. There is no doubt about it. All quarterbacks do. They're going to bring in Slovis. Does it happen in the Fresno State game, which is a non-conference game, where SC should have more talent than Fresno State? Or does it happen in, against Stanford? Okay. And if you really go with him, let's say the JT is out for any amount of time, would you, would you say to yourself, how would Slovis go against Utah? Okay. Uh, It's just a thought or at BYU, which is supposed to have a better team than they've had in the past. So I know I've rambled a little bit, but those are my thoughts. Yeah. I don't see, I don't see a ton of questions that it brings. I think it makes a a pretty loud statement. I, I think it just says, we don't feel like Jack Sears is a fit for this offense. I think that at this point, it's, it's fairly clear what Jack can do, what his strengths are, what his limitations are. And I think it says pretty loudly that he's not going to play quarterback, not necessarily at USC, but for these coaches in this system. And I think he has a chance to improve in certain areas, but look, the guy, he, he's not going to turn into Tom Brady. You know, he's, he's not going to be that kind of quarterback. And, and I think it probably helps, you know, his decision to eventually most likely head somewhere else. And I think it'll be very interesting to watch what kind of offense he ends up in. And, and obviously he's going to be a guy if again, that is the ultimate decision and, and he does, decide to head somewhere else I think it's going to be fascinating to watch where he winds up but but this is something where it would have been it would have been such an easy decision to just slot him at number two um and I think that there was kind of a tough call it it, it was an interesting and you know maybe difficult political decision or, or actually something to to take publicly to put Keaton Slovis in at number two. I've been really impressed with Keaton Slovis. I think he has played um, above what people expected when he came in. I would not have guessed that he would be number two just because, again, the easy thing is, oh, you put the true freshman at the bottom. You can give him whatever reps that he's going to take during the season. But they obviously see enough from him 
to want to fast track that development because once reps start getting divvied up in practice, you're the number four guy is not getting the same as the number one guy, probably not close to what the number two guy is getting. So this is going to kind of fast track Keaton Slovis. And I think, like I said, I think it makes a, a massive statement about not necessarily how the coaches view, view Jack Sears as a quarterback, as a player, as a person. I think it says how they view him as a fit, uh, in this specific offense. And it's, it's tough in college football, especially when you have coaches on the hot seat where if things do go poorly and somebody else comes in, maybe Jack Sears is the exact answer for that new offense that comes in. But, but a coaching staff obviously can't plan for things to go wrong. You can't plan for Hey, the offensive line is going to fall apart this year, and we've need, we've got a guy who can scram, who need you know needs to be able to scramble all over the place. The the plan is our offense is going to run the way we want it to run, and this is the guy, this guy being JT Daniels, who can handle this offense the best. This is the next guy, being Keaton Slovis, who can handle it second best. And I think, like I said earlier. If it was something where it was just like shake up the roster, throw guys out on the field and let them call their own plays and, and everything's up for grabs, I think Jack Sears probably has a strong argument. To me, it's a little bit like, you know, if you have a catcher, if you're a, if you're a manager who's calling his own pitches in baseball and you've got a catcher that's constantly sort of shaking you off and, and doing his own thing. I'm not saying that Jack Sears is changing plays or not listening to coaches or whatever, but a lot of times his success comes from kind of improvising ad-libbing during a play where he needs to break the pocket and he needs to scramble. And that's where a lot of his impressive plays come from. My assumption is the coaches aren't angling for that. They, they, they want the play to be run the way it's supposed to be run. And so maybe he's just not getting a lot of the benefit of the doubt of, well, when this play breaks down, he'll be able to do this better than this other guy does so when he's scoring points with you know us as media members watching what he's doing and fans watching what he's doing when he can do all that I don't know how much credit he's gaining from the coaching staff where it's well the play actually ended when it broke down and you know the other stuff is just kind of the other stuff I agree with you up to a certain point where it's look if the guy you know if the guy can make plays maybe that's the best thing for this team but you coaches want the offense to run the way they want it to run especially now you've got two very uh uh you know offensive guys when you have an offensive coordinator who came in and you basically said run your offense however you want and he's doing it for a head coach who now is trying to spend a lot more time, you know, delegating and looking at the entire roster, but he's an offensive guy too, and a quarterback. So there is a ton of attention put on how is this offense running and how is the guy working, the guy, you know, calling the shots, throwing the ball, how does he work inside of that offense? And so for me, like I said, I, I, I don't see a lot of questions raised with this depth chart. I see it as a, a major statement of this is the way that we're going forward. We're going forward with these two guys. Again, you want to talk about questions coming up. If JT were to go down or if there were some massive issues, 
you know, with production over the first couple games, I think then it gets very interesting to see where they go. But for me right now, this is sort of a, it comes out as an invitation for, for Jack Sears to kind of explore other options and, and maybe other schools that he fits in better than right now, this offense at USC. Well, let me be the contrarian just for the, just for the heck of it. I, I'd expect nothing less. <laughs> well, you're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, remember the coaches, especially Graham Harrell, were just oozing with Jack has got this great mobility. He can really move. He can yes, do all yes. these wonderful things. Okay. And he loves his quarterback from North Texas, Mason Fine, who if you watch okay. highlights of him, he's all over the place. You okay. Know, and you make, a, you, make the ball the you make a good point. So now, let, now let's jump back a little bit and let history be our guide. I don't think anyone would debate that nobody improvised more than Sam Darnold. Sure. Okay. And if Sam Darnold isn't improvising, Clay Helton probably doesn't go to the Rose Bowl, probably doesn't beat uh, Penn State, uh, probably doesn't even get into the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and we all, the idea, of course, was well, when Sam left, what offense does SC have? I think the general consensus is they don't have one because. Where's the offensive philosophy? So he brings in a guy from, well, first they wanted Kingsbury, and then, of course, that didn't work out. Then they bring in the next best thing in their eyes, which is, uh, you know, Graham Harrell. And Graham Harrell brings an offense that, that Helton doesn't even really know about. I mean, he's placing all his uh, eggs in one basket. Uh, Helton's, uh, always his argument is, I'm a quarterback coach by trade and the son of an offensive lineman. Okay, if that's supposed to give you credibility, okay, then so be it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good uh, quarterback coach, nor does it say that you know everything about an offensive line. But that being said, this offensive line right now, if you're grading on a scale between A through F, is probably at best a C minus, at best which means that any quarterback that's going to stay in the pocket because that's what they want him to do is probably going to be a human pinata, okay? That's number one. Number two, if you had a guy like Sears, or I'll even go with Fink, okay, that gives who, – who is a tougher quarterback to defend with that offensive line? The quarterback that is a threat to go out of the pocket and eat up chunks of yards uh, on the ground or one that stays stationary in a pocket because you want to have a, a, a good to, to great offensive line and you don't have one. There's no indication at this point from my perspective that as of today, the SC offensive line is average. Okay. So from my perspective is, you know, they can go with what you said. And I think you presented a very good argument for why it is what it is. But from my perspective is, uh, who is going to be the biggest threat for a defensive team to, to stop? If you don't have, uh, you know, well, first of all, they don't have a running game at this moment. Either that or they were, they were sandbagging it on, on Saturday. Let's hope that they were sandbagging. So my thing is, okay, is Keaton Slovis um, a threat to run out of the pocket? <laughs> I will say he's very controlled. Keaton Slovis does not make a lot of mistakes, although in the scrimmage, when the, as Clay Hilton likes to say, the bullets are flying, uh, he was not quite as effective. Uh, some of his passes were underthrown, but that's being picky. You know, that's being picky. So 
I think you present a good argument. I like to think I gave a, you know, some sort of contrarian point of view. And that's what's going to make it all so interesting. But what really makes it interesting, the bottom line, is you got a coach whose job is on the line, okay? And sometimes you, if you want to keep that job, you got to pull out all the stops. You know, you, you experiment when you're on solid ground. Uh, and again, I'll, go, I'll still go back to this. You know, if I'm a player on the sideline and I see that things aren't working or JT got hurt, and I say, okay, let's put in, I mean, players are, I mean, I was a player, you were a player. You know that you have your own thoughts and you have your thoughts on who you think the pecking order is. Now, like I said, as long as they win, that, that's a band-aid on everything. So my hope is that they go 12 and 0 and that none of this uh, rises to that occasion. But we know with the challenging schedule, especially in the first six games, it could be, it could be uh, you know, uh, Space Mountain, you know, Buckle up. It could be a quite, a, quite a harrowing ride. Look, I mean, we'll, we can get into the offensive line as a completely different discussion. If the idea is we need somebody back there who can operate when, you know, if, if the offensive line is playing like they were last year, I would have let Stephen Carr try to throw the ball around a little bit this summer and just stick him back there, have, have him start running around with a couple running backs. Agree. That is its own own discussion and we the the jury is absolutely out on the offensive line uh Brett Nealon yesterday mentioned uh, a little bit like what you said that you know they weren't showing everything in the run game uh during the scrimmage and there's still you know there's still some left uh Tim Drevno said that you know they've got a little bit to go uh with the offensive line I don't think there's any argument there from what we've seen so I I think the quarterback discussion is obviously going to get a ton of attention because there was a decision, because there was a new uh, offensive system coming in, because you had a seemingly uh, productive backup who was ready to go and, and maybe take the job. Uh, true freshman in there, the returning you know, Gatorade player of the year uh, as a starter last year. There were a lot of storylines there. The storyline for this offense is the offensive line, and we're not going to get into that whole thing right now, but – I think that's kind of the big picture. This is a this is a talking point. How things go this year, I don't think it's, you know, 90% the quarterback. I think in this offense, if the quarterback can do a few things, the offensive line is is what really can make this thing go if he can get some time. Because, like you said, defenses this year – are out for blood against this offense. They saw what they could do against it last year, putting some pressure. That's coming again. And so if if this quarterback, if JT Daniels doesn't get some time to throw, it might not matter who you put back there. Well, so we'll see. You know, it, it's it's, a, it's kind of a, an interesting point. You know, this uh, the, the quarterback pecking order at this point, I'm curious to see, like you said, if things change, if if there's a change before that Fresno State game, I'm curious to get to practice today and see who's there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully all four <laughs> quarterbacks around. Hopefully that depth, you know, continues for them throughout the season. But any, any last points to to kind of wrap this thing up from you? Well, I I I do think it depends on look at you have you, he's got a Helton's got a chance to pick a quarterback that best attacks the defense. He'll know after the second game, especially after Stanford, 
what his capabilities are with his quarterbacks and how, you know, you have to tailor your offense to who the quarterback is, whatever. So we'll see just how they decide to do that. I, the last thing I would like to say is I was not in the meetings between Helton and Harrell. I don't know how much Harrell had to say about it. I don't even know publicly whether he even agrees with it or disagrees with it, but this is the way it is. So that's what makes this intriguing. We don't know what happened uh, in the, in the meetings or even in the film sessions for that matter. So uh, it's going to be uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. Just, just to wrap it up for today. uh, Helton said yesterday that this was the order he had. This was the order Graham Harrell had. This was the order the offensive staff had. Uh, quarterbacks and Graham Harrell were not available to the media right after the decision yesterday. Normally they would have talked on a Tuesday after a Tuesday practice. They're going to be available later today, Wednesday. Uh, so it will be, it will be fascinating to hear what each of them has to say about this decision. So we'll break it. We, you know, broke that down, decision down uh, as much as we could. Again, not a surprise to hear JT Daniels, Uh, as a starting quarterback but like so many positions and like really this entire season just can't wait to see what happens there are so many questions that we have and kind of answers that we think we're gonna see but you know maybe not uh it's this week is gonna be a long week I think as we get ready for Fresno State to get here uh that this is just shaping up to be a really interesting fascinating start to the 2019 season so for a look at starting quarterback named and the quarterback depth chart released uh, for greg katz this is eric mckinney thanks for listening to the we rsc podcast